So two of the greatest tools and two of the greatest gifts that God has given us once that we come to faith, once we've repented and surrendered, once we start walking with Christ every day, these are two of the greatest gifts that God's given us, two of the greatest tools. It's like oxygen and water to the human body. It's the Word of God, the Bible. It's like a flowing stream. It's living water and prayer. Prayer is the oxygen that we breathe in day in and day out. The two greatest gifts I believe that God has given us to know him, to walk with him, to embrace him, to experience him is the Bible and prayer. And I think for a lot of people who have been around the faith for any period of time, if you're not careful, you can start to neglect those two and not appreciate those two and not value those two at the level that you should. The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period. God used 40 different authors, if you will, to pen Scripture. Uh, the Scripture was breathed by God. It was penned by man, but it was ordained totally by God. It's not man's opinions. It's not guys throughout the world, throughout different periods of time, just kind of sitting down and tripping and writing stuff and all of a sudden it being canonized years later. Second Peter chapter 1, listen to this verse. Know this, know, know, know this, know this truth, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of a human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is God's word. It is ordained by God. It is anointed by God. It is appointed by God. And when we look at this, here's what you'll hear me say repeatedly. The 66 books that we have are true for all people of all places of all time. It's true. It doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't expire. What God said through Job, through David, through Nehemiah, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whoever, what God said that was relevant then is relevant now. This book doesn't have an expiration date. Now, one of the interesting things when you study, and I find this very interesting, uh, if you really become a student of the Word, you've got to know that chapters were added to the Bible in 1238. Verses were not added until 1551. So there's a lot of times when you start to read something and you'll go, hold, hold on, it doesn't seem like it's flowing. Man added verses and chapters. And it was added to try to help guide us and kind of break things up where you could at least reference it and somebody else could get to it. If not, you would say, uh, hey, uh, turn over to the middle part of Isaiah. And it's like, where? You might have a page number, but once the uh, press came about, and there were multiple copies of Scripture, and then the Bible started being translated. It went King James and all these other uh, translations since then. New King James, New American Standard, ESV, English Standard Version, NIV, New Living. I mean, there's a ton of them out there. Anyway, I believe the, uh, the verses and chapters helped, help us, but sometimes uh, where the verses and chapters are placed, it can hinder you with what you're reading. So always try to read the text within the context, within the conversation, and don't allow, just because a chapter starts here, for you to think, oh, well, this is a whole new saying. It might not be. So read the text within the context, but I want you to know this book right here is incredible, and uh, God's given us all in this room access to the Word of God. 
Every person in this room has access to the Word of God. The Bible is authoritative. It is God's message of love. It is God's message of uh, lessons for doing life. It is God's message of, uh, of freedom, direction, perspective as you do life every day. I promise you whatever you're struggling with relationally, trying to figure it out with God or even in marriage or parenting or whatever, this book is alive and it's relevant for where you're at today. Now, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 is one of those kind of go-to passages. Now, you've got to understand, if I'm discipling a brand new believer, this is what I'm taking them through. I want them to know how relevant the Word of God is, how uh, powerful the Scripture is, how uh, necessary uh, water is every day. Now, check this out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want you to know this one. I want you to know the 2 Peter reference. It's crucial to know that one. But 2 Timothy 3 says all Scripture. Scripture uh, is the sacred and holy, authoritative words that God's given us. That's what the word Scripture means. It's the authoritative, canonized word that God's given us. All Scripture, all, is inspired, which means it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, woman of God, can be adequately equipped and prepared for whatever work God has in store for them. This right here should be what you build your entire life on. Your theology, your philosophy, the methodologies that you use should come from the Word of God. Now, the simplest thing for me and this is something I worked on years ago, 2 Timothy 3, the four truths. The scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And I remember writing this out. It's true, and it's useful, and it's profitable for what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. For me, over the years, as I've studied I mean, I'm using 2 Timothy 3. I'll go back just one chapter to 2 Timothy 2.22. All right? We use 2 Timothy 2.2 today, right? The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men and women who will also entrust. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, flee youthful lust, pursue faith, righteousness, hope, love with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. I remember studying that going, man, this is a great teaching. And I remember writing down, run from, run to, and run with, run from, flee, youthful lust and all that corrupt stuff, pursue, run after, and then run with. So when you study the scripture, for me, I have to make it relevant where I can see it, because if I can see it, I can say it. You've got to be able to see it. And so this word, again, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, I get into it and it's like it's going to show me what's right. What's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. And so you got to get into it every day. It is to be used like bread for daily use, not like cake for special occasions. Howard Hendricks, the old prof who died years ago, he said most Christians are like bad film. They're overexposed, but they're underdeveloped. 
And I know young generation, Caleb, y'all don't know what film is, but it was this stuff we used to put in a camera. Y'all remember? Overexposed, underdeveloped. God has given you a copy of Scripture. You've probably got the YouVersion app on your phone, iPad or whatever, and you can access all these great reading plans. We've got to know the Word of God. Now, listen to this. Psalm 1. It was funny the other day because Kara, uh, her and baby Nora came up to the office and we were meeting Dustin, Nick, whoever, and we were sitting there. And she said when she was about five years old, she memorized Psalm 1. And I said, really? I said, quote it. And she did. She goes, it is so crazy that I memorized that when I was five years old. Do you know Psalm 1? You know what? Psalm 1. I'll paraphrase some of it. But it says, how blessed is the man or the woman. How blessed, full, satisfied, and content is the man or woman who does not walk with the wicked or stand with sinners nor sit around and hang out with a bunch of mockers and scoffers. How blessed is the man, woman, who meditates day and night, daily, daily, daily. First Psalm, how blessed is the man or woman who meditates day and night. It's like a drippy faucet. The word is constantly just dripping in. How blessed is the man or woman who meditates day and night on the law of the Lord, law of the Lord, the word of God, the sayings of God. And in God's law, he meditates, he chews it. He, he, he who does that is like a tree. It's planted by streams of living water. Water. He, he, he's planted. He's strong. He's secure. He's stable. He, he yields his fruit in season. His leaf never withers. Whatever he does, he's strong. He's established. He, he's firm. The person who meditates on God's word day and night. Who could do that? You can. Who can meditate day and night? You can. Who can know God's word? You can. Now, we don't use it as a hammer to beat people up, but we want to use it in a very uh, skillful way so that God can trim away the flesh of our heart and maybe we could come alongside and encourage somebody else where they're at. Blessed is the man, woman who meditates day and night. Who can do that? You can. So you've got to ask yourself how many days a week are you meditating on scripture, meditating, carving out time? When is the time during the day that you meditate and really carve out that time? Now, I'm going to meditate throughout the day, but when are you studying? When are you evaluating scripture? David, this is a familiar one right here, Psalm 119. It's the longest really chapter probably that we've got, right, with all these verses. Listen to what he says, I have treasured and hidden God's word, God's sayings. I've treasured it and hidden it in my heart so that I will not sin against the Lord. God's word is a light. God's word is a lamp. God's word illuminates me wherever I'm at and wherever I'm going. I've, I've hidden it. I've treasured it. I've stored it. Have, have you hidden it and treasured it and stored it? Because you're hiding and storing and treasuring something every day. 
What, what, are, what are you hiding? Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and even the intentions of the heart. Man, I'm telling you right now, I love being able to meditate because it exposes my why. What's your heart? Why are you doing what you're doing? Craig, when we get to this place right here, brother, and it goes, God's word is able to judge. When I'm in the word of God, it's like a searchlight's on my heart. And he goes, I'm able to show you your why. I'm, I'm, I'm able to show you why you do what you do. Well, I want my why to be right. I want my why to honor God. And you're going to deal with people at times in ministry. I was having conversation this week, and they were like, well, you know, uh, so-and-so, you know, he was pastoring, but he don't even go to church anymore. I'm like, do what? He's not even engaged in fellowship, but he was pastoring about six years ago. I'm like, why was he doing it in the first place? If God's got a call on your life to preach and teach the Word of God, it's an irrevocable call. I, I, I tried that for a while. You don't try it. It's who you are. And I was like, why? Churches shut their doors and people just kind of move into it, move out. Let me say this. This is just off of the word for a second, but it's the true thought in my heart. If you want to be needed, if you're insecure and you feel inadequate and you feel that you're inferior, and you're starving for somebody to notice you and like you, go into ministry. The need to be needed has driven a lot of people to do ministry, and it's jacked up. If you want somebody to need you, notice you, applaud you, you go into ministry, somebody's going to come to you a little more jacked up than you are, and they're going to ask you, if, hey, man, you got a little time I can grab with you? You better make sure that the anointing and call of God is on your life. Better make sure. But you better be hiding this word daily. Now listen to this one. Here is a simple process for me. I promise you, if you can even apply just the simplistic part of this model right here, it will change your daily study, your daily meditation, your daily read time. All right, Ben Parr, here it is. When I get into the Word, if I'm going through the Gospel of John or Ephesians or whatever I'm going through, whenever I get ready to teach, my model of proclamation, my model of whatever, just study, is the first thing I do is I spend time in observation. Observe the text. Who's writing it? Who's he writing it to? When was it written? What do we know about the culture during that time? Now, now as I observe, who are the key people? What are the places involved here? Observation. When you learn to study God's word accurately, you will learn to engage with people in their narratives. Hey, hey, so what's your name? Where are you from? Oh, really? So how long have you lived in the area? Well, what made you move here? Oh, oh, oh really? I'm, I'm glad you came today. What, what made you can't come? Who brought you? Who invited you? What do you do for a living? How many kids you got? 
All I'm doing is asking questions and getting information. When I study the Word of God, the Word of God is alive. Since it's alive, I might as well treat it like it's alive. If it was dead, it couldn't respond, but since it's alive, it can. Who's writing this? Why did he write that? Why did he use that word? Why did he use that phrase? I'm starting to make notes. Now, here's the verse right here. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Ask God. Here's as simple as it gets. The word of God is alive. God's given us water, the word. Just ask God to illuminate your spiritual eyes. Do you ever ask God to illuminate your eyes when you pick up the scripture? God, illuminate my eyes and allow me to see the wonderful things that are in your word. Second thing, then I move to interpretation. Interpretation, what does this passage say and mean? That's where I start to define words. And you'll see me do that at times, like the word confess. Well, we need to define what that word means. Where did it come from in the Greek? Uh, The word scripture, even today. Well, what does that word mean? The word repent, the word believe, the word surrender, the word. Dustin said he was sharing that with Tony. Tony, here's what surrender means biblically. Have you ever surrendered? Never, Never surrendered if that's what it means biblically. So when you're studying it, I had a guy call the other day, a dude from Iowa, no lie, young guy, 23 years old, and he goes, uh, what would you recommend me reading and pondering right now? I said, for where you're at, I would go through the book of Ephesians. He wrote me back in 10 days, and he said, all right, I'm done with Ephesians. I've been going through it every day for the last 10 days. I said, no, you might be done with verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. And I started breaking it down on how to study, and he goes, oh, Yeah, I think I'm going to probably be there for a little while. Interpretation. There are certain things that when you meet people, hey, what does that mean? Why did you say that? Here's a third thought. It's going to drive me. Now, let, let, let me hit this. Interpretation. The Holy Spirit will give you an ability to discern truth. The Holy Spirit desires to give you an ability to discern. Ask the Holy Spirit, again, to illuminate your eyes, but to say, give me discernment on what this means. I want to know what it means. Remember, eyes that look are common, eyes that see are rare. I want to have seeing eyes. Now, next one is I'm moving to meditation. And meditation is where I'm committing to reflect on it throughout the day. There's going to be one or two words, one or two verses, something in my word time in that morning that really hit me that I want to meditate on. Meaning, I'm going to ponder it throughout the day. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to put it on my phone. I may even text myself that verse. And and I'm telling you, I may may even set a reminder three different times on my phone, and it's going to buzz, and I'm like, bam, yes, I'm going to memorize that verse today. I want to keep chewing on it. Who can do it? You can. Observation, interpretation goes to meditation. The next piece of it is application. The application is how does this right now apply to my life? Because if James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers, how do, how do I do what God's telling me to do? How do I apply God's word? If I'm getting observation that just leads to education, it ain't happening. It better be leading to application that's changing my life, which leads to transformation. Because that's where I always land. Observation. Observation. Interpretation. Meditation. I got to rhyme it for me to remember it. I don't know how you do it, but for me, this works. But then I move to the place of application. Here's how I'm, I'm applying it now. How has God changed my 
life and my perspective and my attitude. Everybody with me? Everybody. This is discipleship. This is the ABC's essentials. Coach, you with me? Everybody. You with me? Michelle? Johnny? Good? You good back there? Good? Alan? All right, Rabbi. Now, this word is alive, oh. It says in Acts 17, 11, that those in Berea were much more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they examined the scriptures daily, carefully, to see if what was being taught was truth or not. And I started pondering that years ago. I was like, they eagerly received it. Eagerly means they were hungry for it, but they examined it thoroughly. Is this true or not? And there's a lot of people that come to me saying, man, you got to hear this brother preach. And I'm like, his theology is so jacked up, it's, it's not even funny. You've got you to examine the word to make sure that what you're believing, what you're building your life on, is true. Now, the building blocks, Merle, you can't negotiate this. I've had people tell me over the years, well, I just don't like to read. A person who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does. I could have used that excuse like a champ. When you make a 575 on the SAT and you have to take 099 remedial at DeKalb South, you don't qualify for scholarship academically at Georgia Tech. Been part of, that's where I started. People go, you were behind the eight ball. I said, yes, the nine, 10, and 11 balls as well. I, it took me a while to get out. But when God said, you can read. You can ponder. Your mind can comprehend. You can think about pure, right, holy, lovely things. You don't have to be conformed. You can be transformed. You can do it. So here's the, the second greatest tool. And I don't even know which one of these is the greatest because both of them are the greatest tools that God's given us is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is as old as man. Back in Genesis chapter 4, if you read it, it says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So men, people have been praying. Adam and Eve jacked it up. Sin entered into the equation in Genesis 3. By Genesis 4, they're already praying, crying out to God. Prayer. It's as universal as religion. Prayer, it says, instinctive is breathing. All people of all religious belief systems pray. That's the reason people say, man, I'm praying for you. I don't even know what that means. Who are you praying to? Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. JWs pray. Cults pray. People say, prayer changes things. For real? So it's all up to you now. No, God changes things. If I'm praying to the right person with the right attitude, with the right heart, it changes me to align my will with him. But you'll hear people say, I'm praying for you. You don't even have a walk with the Lord. Who are you talking to? I want people that know Christ, that are surrendered to Jesus, praying for me. Prayer 
springs from a heart with a need. The need that's greater than your ability to meet it, bam, I got to have help. And so prayer in its purest form is crying out to a entity, hopefully deity, hopefully trinity, but prayer is crying out to something bigger than yourself for help, really. Now, biblical prayer, spiritual Christ-centered prayer, is when the born-again, regenerated heart cries out to the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth. You hear me? I'm just telling you, you've got to comb through this and try to figure it out a little bit because people will say, you'll you, 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 you hear on the media, well, we're praying. Praying pray for, well, I don't even know what that means. I'm interceding. I'm on my face before God. So prayer for us, for an evangelical, is a conversation between you and God. It's intimate and it's familiar. It's a close friend that you've hung out with. Prayer in its purest sense is talking and listening. It's conversation and contemplation. Prayer, biblically, is not a one-way, one-sided monologue. Biblical prayer is a dialogue. It's that gift that God's given us to depend on him, lean on him, seek him. And the truth is, for the born again, we should be in such close communion with God that when we awake in the middle of the night, the most natural thing for us to do is just talk with God. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He he doesn't. Last Sunday night, Monday morning, the Lord woke me up. I was interested. I told Barb, I'm like, I was praying for my buddy Mac. God specifically burdened my heart. Now, I'm laying there. He's like, intercede for him. And I wrote some things down that I felt like God wanted me to share with him. And I didn't send them to him until later. But when God wakes you up, hey, this is an opportunity to talk. This is an opportunity to quote scripture back to my Abba. Prayer, petition, praise, thanksgiving. Tanya, that's where we go. It's like, man, I'm just leaning in. So here would be my question to you. Think about this. What images come to your mind when you hear the word prayer? For you. What images come to mind? What role did prayer play in your family when you were growing up? We, we, we didn't have it in mind. I mean, we pray for meals, we pray for each other, and, but we didn't, I didn't do any of that growing up. It was a foreign kind of thing. Uh, why do so many Christians feel uncomfortable praying out loud? Why, why do you think? You ever, you, ever, you ever ponder some of these things? Like, like the first time when I was asked to pray out loud, I was scared. And I've shared this story like, Tim, pray for us. I elbowed my buddy, and I'm like, dude, you got to do this one. I, I, I'm scared. He's like, scared? You're 6'3", 220. Scared of what? I don't know, man. I can't do it. 
And I, I fell on my face when I got home, and I'm like, why was I scared? Because perfect love cast out all fear. And the Lord said, you're talking to me. They're just eavesdropping on the conversation you have with me. You've been talking to me. So you ain't got to worry about these and thou. Them other dudes, talk to me the way you talk to me. Like, all right. For real? Yes. Damn, pray for us. Lord, I'm scared. This sucks. This moment right here pretty bad for me. Because I ain't ever done this out loud in front of anybody before. But I'm talking to you. So if they want to listen, they can. I started getting freed up. I'm like, I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to him. So if you catch somebody praying out loud, it's like, cool. You, you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Just pray. You know the disciples never asked Jesus, hey, uh, would you teach us to preach? But they said, Master, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to connect and commune with Abba the way you do? Jesus like, yeah, when you, when you pray, just say, Father, Abba, Daddy, in heaven, holy. Man, bring your kingdom here like your kingdom's flourishing in heaven. Yeah, just, just pray. Just talk to him. For real? Can you do it? Yeah, because he's for you. He wants to converse and hang with you. I'm going to saturate you for a second. Jeremiah 29. Listen to what he says. Call on me. Come and pray to me. I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Call to me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. Who, who said that? God. Israel. Y'all have turned your backs on me. Jeremiah is over here weeping his tail off because these people have turned from God. They don't want anything to do with God. You got kids maybe there? Maybe a family member you love? He goes, call me. You'll find me when you're searching for me with all your heart. Your heart. Matthew 7, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask. You have not because you ask not. Seek. Press in. Come on. Let's have a breakthrough. These are simple verses, Greg. Who's, who said it? Jesus. Hey, ask. For real? Yes. Philippians 4, familiar, right? Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious, but pray. Yes. James 1. Any of you like wisdom? then let him ask God. Ask God for what? Wisdom? And God gives generously when people seek him and they're meditating on truth day and night and they're not turning to the right or the left but they're locked in and they're seeking him for wisdom. He goes, you want wisdom? I'll give you wisdom. Solomon, what'd you pray for? Wisdom? I mean, all that money and stuff, I mean, cool, but 
I wanted wisdom. What do you want? God goes, call on me. Seek me. Listen to what he says. And this is the confidence we have before him. 1 John chapter 5. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James 5. Any, any, anybody su- sick and suffering? Let him pray. Let him call for the elders to pray. Here's my wrap. Two of the greatest tools you have that can be utilized every day is the word of God and prayer. Simple truths for me. Jesus said at all times you ought to pray. It's like, yep. Prayer. Prayer can unlock the treasure of God's wisdom based on that James thing. Sinners are saved when they pray by faith. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus submitted to the Father in prayer while it was still early. He would go out and pray. We should do the same. I was talking to my son this week. His job, he's he's having to be at work at 445. I was talking to him. I was like, he's all about eating clean and all this stuff. I said, so what, what time do you get up? Right at three. At three. For real? Yep. My Bible, my devotional, all this stuff is laid out. Spend time in word and prayer. By 335, I eat eight egg whites and nothing. I'm like, every day. Yes, sir. Every day. So you're going to set aside that word and prayer time before you do anything. That's right. I'm like, you know why he does it? Because he values it, and he knows it's the most valuable thing he'll do throughout the day. He don't do it because his mama loves Jesus. What's your routine? Here's my close of seven simple biblical reasons on why I pray. Number one, it releases God's power. Back to the Jeremiah thing. Call on me, and I will show you. I know the plans I have for you. Yes. Number six, when you pray, submit to the Lord's will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. All your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Submit. Number five, to yield to his will. Romans 12, do not be conformed. Be transformed so that you can know what God's perfect will is, his good, acceptable, perfect will. Four, to experience forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Hebrews 4 says, let us approach the throne of grace so that we can find mercy in time of need. (sighs) I need mercy and grace every day. Man, I need God because here's, here's something I've been contemplating. I'm thankful that God is forgiving, but I am thankful that God is for living. Forgiving, yes, but for living means he's giving me energy through the Holy Spirit every day with kingdom perspective. If it was just he's a forgiving God, it would mean, well, I'm not counting all that crap you did in the past against you. But if he is a for living God, he's come that we might have life and have it to the full. I've been wallowing in that. Man, he's a for living God. Why don't you pray? so that I can gain strength over temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. Yes! 
Well, why don't you, you pray? Number two, to identify with God by becoming like him. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, to those God foreknew he also predestined to conform. Yes! <laughs> He's conforming me every day. No way. Why don't you pray? Honestly, number one, just to hang with God and invest time with God because I love him. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just hang with me because you love me. The number one why ought to be because I love him. And it just keeps building. Why don't you hang with God? Why don't you pray? Why don't you get in work? Because I love God. God loves me, and he's willing to do something in me. Come on. You love God? These are the essentials. This is ABCs. This is the basic foundation. If you get this one and you start walking in this practice every day, Tony, it radically changes everything. Brother's walking in the Word, and he's walking in prayer. And no weapon formed against you is going to prosper because you're clothed and walking in the peace and freedom of Christ.